All right, Corinthians 15, Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll start reading at verse number 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood, Paul says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. In other words, he's saying here physical unredeemed bodies, flesh and blood cannot inherit a spiritual kingdom. There has to be a change. There has to be a transformation that takes place. He said, behold, I show you and notice what he says here, a mystery. How many like intriguing things? Dare I say conspiracies? I won't say that. Okay. Well, that word mystery is, is like that. It was something that nobody knew. And do you realize right now that you're in the church and you have insider information? You have insider information that other people don't have and other people didn't have throughout the ages. You have it. Paul says, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you a mystery. And he says this. He said, we shall not all sleep. You're like, wait a second. What does that mean? And we're going to get into this a little bit. We're going to walk through the scriptures and see what the Bible has to say about us as believers sleeping. What does that mean? What he's saying here, the mystery is that not everyone, please, please notice with me. This will be the gist of my message. Not everyone is going to die a physical death. That's the mystery. We shall not all sleep. There's going to be a select group of people that don't die. I'd like to be one of them if I had a choice in the matter. I'm going to tell you, either way, if you're living for God, it's going to be good. I kind of prefer the not dying way. And Paul, I think, counted himself, near as we can see in the Scripture, counted himself in that number. And he believed in the imminent return of Jesus, that at any moment Jesus could come and believed likely that he was going to be one of those that was alive when the Lord returned. Because he says, we all shall be changed. That's what he says. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. And then for further explanation, he goes further. For, he says, well, I'm going to explain a little further. He says, the trumpet shall sound. And when the trumpet sounds, he says, the dead shall be raised incorruptible that's good news I feel like talking to somebody here today you as a child of God do not have a biblical reason to fear death I really I get it it's unknown it's freaky it's scary what happens next we it says the dead shall be caught incorruptible and we shall be changed that is the hope of every child of God. And we thank God for that. He said in a moment, at a most, it's the most indivisible, indivisible component, that, that fast. He said it's going to happen. So he shares us a mystery. And in, in, from what I can see in the New Testament, there's seven New Testament mysteries. If you walk through them, mystery of godliness, the mystery of iniquity, the mystery of the church, the mystery Babylon, the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory, the mystery of Israel. And one of the mysteries here, one of the seven New Testament mysteries that we're going to talk about today is the resurrection from the dead and the rapture specifically. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. I want to talk about the rapture. The rapture. We're going to talk about the rapture. And I'm going to give a little definition to it. The rapture, the dynamic and dramatic translation and transformation of physical bodies to a spiritual reality to be with Jesus. And when the rapture happens, there's going to be an absolute, immediate, total renovation that happens with your physical body. And immediately, just like that, you are going to be in the presence of God. 
and all the trouble, trial, difficulty, pain, sorrow, sickness, disease, all that stuff in a moment, just like that's going to be done. And we're going to, we're going to be with Jesus. Okay, go with me to uh, Thessalonians chapter 4.13, 4.13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. I want to be a good pastor today. I want to just, I want to just re totally re reiterate what Paul said. I would not, he's like, I, okay, church, it's very important that you're not ignorant. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be ignorant. Okay? It's a very important thing that we're not ignorant of. Okay, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. There's that word again, and we'll, we'll deal with that for a little bit. We'll walk through the scriptures. Them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Saints, can I say that we have a view differently than the unsaved which have no hope? For those that die serving God, we look at it very, very differently because of what we know about Jesus and what he has done for us. And I would say this is where the rubber meets the road, the idea to a child of God of death and what that means. For this we say, or no, 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. How many believe that? Jesus died and rose again. If. Conditional. If, we, if, that, if I believe that, even so them also which sleep in Jesus. He's talking the sleep in Jesus are the dead in Christ. Will God bring with him? He's going to bring them with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we, again, there's that word again. Paul includes himself in that number. We, which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent them which are asleep. We're not going to stop the dead in Christ from rising because we're still alive and serving the Lord. For, he says, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. That's why we're not afraid of the shout. It's like rapture practice. It's going to be loud. Church is loud sometimes. Make no apologies. Uh, where am I at? 16. Send from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise. He's talking about the bodily resurrection first. They shall rise first. 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be Notice the, the terminology and the verbiage. Caught up together with them. With them, with the dead in Christ that have now resurrected. Spirits came back into their dead, mortified bodies. Incorruptible becomes, or corruptible becomes incorruptible. The corruption is healed. Boom, they have new glorified bodies. And they are going up to meet Jesus in the air. And then we are going to meet them in the air. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. That's why we sing that song. When I die, hallelujah, my, my, I'll fly away. I'll fly away. Meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then he says these words, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. It's a comfort to a child of God. We're not living for right here. Every, our whole world and life is not wrapped up here. So you can be seated. God bless you. Thank you for standing. I'm gonna, I want to do my best here to walk through the scripture. And I want to talk about the rapture this morning. I want to talk about the rapture. Let's talk about the rapture. All right. Um, near as I can remember, if, if I recall, I was 19 years old. And my sister is three years younger than I am. So I was... She was 16, I believe, and I was 19, if I remember right. I believe she was driving. I don't think she was 15. I think she was 16. I had just got back from Bible school, and my parents were out of town. And I was a Christian, so that's, that's a good thing. I wasn't going to get my little sister into trouble, sort of. 
And so I don't know what inspired the idea, but um, there was like an amusement park that was around us about a half an hour north. I was raised north of Detroit, Michigan, and there's this big amusement park that had like bumper boats and uh, what do you call the cars? The bumper cars and then a the little racetrack, the uh, go-karts. They had go-karts and they had all kinds of, you know, just, just a fun place. And so... I took my sister, I'm 19, she's 16. I took my sister and we go, we go to the amusement park. And uh, so they had another very, very special event that took place there. And so I went and I purchased the tickets. There's a fair amount of money at that point. I don't remember exactly. I'm guessing it was 60 or $70. And so I went and paid the money. And my sister, following in my footsteps, went and paid the money. And so we walked out into this somewhat open field, I would say about 80 yards of open field, and sitting in the middle of that field was a massive crane. And hanging from the bottom of that crane was a steel basket, if you call it that. And so I gave the man my ticket, I'd paid for it, and I stepped into that, that metal cage along with the man, and behind me he had a whole bundle of these stretchy things, and they were all bundled together, and he was behind me with those, and I got this whole strap. They strapped me into this thing, and then I heard the, the fateful sound behind me of click, click as I was clicked in, and we're in this cage, and slowly the crane operator lifts me up, and, you know, my compatriot lifts me up. If I recall, it was about 70 feet. It was six or seven stories, lifts me up this church is is the top of this church is about 20 feet so three or four times the height of this and i'll never forget being in that that basket and rising up and looking and it's like you could see for miles and miles and miles i could see the whole park i'd see everything that was going on and then he gave me some instructions and then the faithful moment came where the door swung open and when the door swung open i was able to step out onto a platform that was about yay big and then the really, I heard the click was like the fateful thing, but then when the door behind me shut, and I'm standing there and I'm looking down about 70 feet, and your heart and your stomach is in your throat, and the time came when he said, okay. He said, you can jump. I said, can I dive? And then it happened. And if you've never done it before, they have this thing that's called ground rush. The ground just, and the, the, the sound is roaring in your ears. So can I just say when I was standing on the edge of that platform, I had a sensation of apprehension. <laughs> Understandably so. <laughs> Normally normal people. Do not jump from a secure position from 70 feet and just go flying through the air. And what it happens is not just the ground rush. It when, it's when it hits the end like a rubber band and you think it's all over, but it ain't over. Because you're just... And you're back up in the air. And then the ground rush happens again. And then my sister, who is 16... Mom and dad are out of town. Did the same thing. I don't know how much my parents appreciated that. 
The truth is, I think my dad really appreciated it. My mom didn't appreciate it. But there was that feeling, that feeling when, when my feet are dangling over the edge and I'm looking down, there's this feeling that I had. I knew it was something that was going to happen. I was going to do it. But it was a feeling of apprehension. Apprehension. Now, subject that we've been talking about for a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about today, the topics I'm going to talk about. Can we all admit here today, bring a degree of apprehension? Like pastor's talking about death today. <laughs> He's talking about death, like, like dead. Like my, <laughs> you all look very sober. <laughs> How about this? How about the judgment of God? The judgment, the judgment that, that he is the judge of the universe and the judge of the universe is going to judge every single human being that's ever lived. Possibly our heart and our stomach ends up in our throat. Like, <coughs> you got a happy message for me, preacher? That's a little. The idea of the coming of the Lord to some people, even, even folks raised in church. I mentioned last week, but to folks raised in church, some folks raised in church, um, you know, the story of coming home and you're six years old or eight years old and you come home from school and you come home from school and your mom and dad aren't there and they're supposed to be there and your sister isn't there and everybody that you know that's Holy Ghost filled is not in your house. And this, this scary, scary thought pops in you. Oh my goodness, did the rapture happen? Did I miss it? And so when you start talking about some of these things, when you talk about the coming of the Lord and you talk about judgment and you talk about physical death and you talk about some of, some of these subjects, you talk about the rapture, there can be a degree of apprehension. Can we all say amen to that? Amen. Like, let's, let's just let's break it down. Let's make it, let's make it even more awkward. So what are my last moments on earth going to be like? What's it going to be like literally the last 30 seconds of my life when the breath will leave my physical lungs for the, the last time and I'll breathe my last breath? What's it going to be like? What am I going to feel? What about my future? What about when my time on earth is done? What about death? What about eternity? And it can leave all of us, every human being, with a certain sense of apprehension. Man, what's going to happen? What I really want to preach about here this morning is I would like us as God's people, because I believe this is biblical, scriptural, spiritual, and right. I believe as God's people that we who know the word of God need to move from apprehension to anticipation. If we know the book, we live for God, should move from that. <gasps> Don't talk about that, preacher. Can we, can we talk about something else? It should move from that to the idea of, yes, Jesus is coming. Yes, I'm going to be with the Lord in eternity. Yes, it's going to happen for me. Yes, 
Oh, yes, when my time on earth is done, there's going to be better things in store for me. Can I tell you this morning, child of God, that there are better things in store for you than anything you've experienced in this life, uh, that eternal life is going to be better than this present life, that everything that we're going to have is better than what we presently have, uh, that what we will have in eternity with Jesus is going to eclipse anything that we've experienced here on this side. It's going to be better there than here. And so because of that, we don't have to live with the sense of, of angst in our heart. Like, oh man, I don't know. It's going to be the greatest graduation that happens to any human being in this world uh, to know Jesus and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, when Jesus calls you home to be with him, uh, it's going to be the greatest graduation that we've ever known. It's going to be the most wonderful thing that's ever happened to us when we're with Jesus forever. And everything just like that changes and dare I say, for the better, for the better. If we don't believe that, we might as well just close up shop and go home. Because that's in the Bible as much as anything else that is in the scripture. I read this last night, a, uh, a poem that was seen, this following was seen on a tombstone. It says, on the tombstone, it says, pause now, stranger, as you pass by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so soon you'll be. So prepare yourself to follow me. That's good. That's really good stuff. From the grave, someone is communicating a message. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about our human body. Let's talk about the body. I read a book years ago uh, by a man named Tanishi Coates who wrote a book um, called Between the World and Me. And he was dealing with inner city America and he's dealing with, um, you know, culturally, sometimes we are arrogant enough to assume that we understand where other people are at and what other people are going through. And, you know, the truth of the matter is we really don't. We really don't. That's why I think we need to withhold judgment. It's very easy. This is the problem with ethnic strife in our world today is that people are making assumptions false, wrong assumptions about other cultures and things like that. And I think we need a high degree of wisdom and sensitivity before we do that. So this, this man was talking about inner city America and many of the problems they were facing. And, and as I read through the book, it was revelatory to me because things that I assumed that I knew about the inner city, I'm telling you right now, I had no clue. It gave me a great compassion. In some senses, I thought, how are we going to reach people that are, that are, that are in, in these kind of conditions? And what this young man talked about, he said, growing up in a culture where the culture was an incredibly violent culture, where in inner city America, at least in the place that he was at, that there was a constant threat of being killed and murder. He said, I never, and in the book, he said, I never will forget being six years old the first time I'm standing on a street corner. And, he, and it helped me to understand the reason why men posture themselves a certain way sometimes with the hood a certain way and the body posture a certain way. And he said, ultimately, it was all about personal protection. That was your way of asserting dominance and, and so that you're not going to be dominated or, or hurt. Or He said, but I never will forget being on that street corner for the first time when somebody pulled out a pistol and he's six or seven years old and puts a pistol right in his face. And he said, I never will forget how my life flashed in front of my eyes. And from that moment forward, he said, there was a degree of insecurity that I had. And he, he brought up the... The, the whole idea of the, the horrific time in America's history of slavery and how terrible it was. And he made a statement I never will forget. He said, because in slavery, one person owns another person, their body. 
And that was a thing, body autonomy. He talked a lot about the body and, and this one person. It's a horrific thing, one person to own another person. And it made me think about this, this simple fact. What is it about us that, that this, this, is, this is who we are, right? At least in part, our body, our physical body is part of our identity. And can I tell you, God caused it to be that way. He made it to be that way. Thessalonians 5.17 says that the God of peace sanctify you holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, body, soul, and spirit. So we are tripart beings. We're spirit, soul, and body, and all of them are wrapped up together. Can I tell you, there's, there's a real concentrated way and reason why the enemy is after this whole transgenderism thing and this stuff that's going on. We've talked about it. I'm not here to just curse the darkness, but I think biblically and theologically as God's people, we need to understand what's taking place. That the enemy is trying to alienate the most core function of what God made human beings to be. God made them male and female. Male and female created he them. Who did that? Who assigned that? God assigned that. That you're a man is a man and a woman is a woman. And fundamentally at the core of the attack on that, what is it? It's, it's an attack on the created order of God. In other words, it's, it's, it's a way for the enemy to get spite against the God that made man and woman. And part of our identity is this, 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 human, this human body. The human body, which as we know, the human body is the shell that contains the real you. It's not all of you, because inside of you is a spirit and a soul, the intangible part of you, the invisible part of you. So there's more to life than just the body, but the body connects our soul and our spirit. They are, they are fused together. They are welded together, body, soul, and spirit. This is why sin is such a big deal. And if you miss Wednesday, I feel bad that you did because, man, there was some powerful word Wednesday. This is why in Romans 6, if we're going to live for God in victory, I don't know that there's a more frequent place in all of the Bible that the word dead or death is used. Romans chapter number 6. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? How that Christ died for our sins. Uh, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Dead, dead, dead. And, and what's he talking about? He's talking about this, this physical human body is a big deal because it, it houses the spirit and the soul of man that's going to live forever is inside of this physical human body. So what I do with this physical human body is a big deal to God. This is why the Bible says fools make a mock at sin. Fools make a mock at sin. Fools go, oh, it's no big deal. <laughs> it's no big deal. You just, you just do what you want to do. No, because our body is connected to our soul and our spirit. And when the body interacts with sin and it does the things that displease God, what does it do? It warps, it twists, it mars, and it perverts the spirit and the soul of man. So the body is a big deal. The body is what houses our soul, and our spirit. It's the shell that carries the real us. The real us is inside, but the shell of the body is what carries the real us. I've got to apologize here this morning because I really wanted to illustrate this better. And I tried to, of course, at 11.30 last night, I asked my wife, but who knows. But I wanted to bring a conch shell. Anybody ever seen a conch shell? When you put it to your ear? Isn't it amazing you can hear the ocean? <laughs> 
should say it's like the jackalope that's in. I could sell you the jackalope. Anyway, so the, the conch shell, the conch shell, right? The conch shell. Do you know that it's the conch shell? It's, it's a shell. It's powerful. But the real living creature is inside of the shell. The mollusk lives inside of the shell, and the time comes that it will jettison the conch shell, and it will, will leave that, that shell. But the shell is still integral to the identity of this sea anemone or this, this, this sea snail, right? So in the same way, the body, our physical body, represents who we are. It represents who we are. But can I also tell you, I've got good news for you. That God's going to take this body that you, are, you have right now. And again, I hate to be the bearer of bad tidings, but your body ain't getting better. It's just not. Sorry. You can bench press all day long. And we're trying to, to fight the physical process of death, but death is at work in us. And things don't go from a greater state or from a lesser state to a greater state while you're living on this earth. Some of you guys that used to be like this, you know, all that. Never mind. I'm just going to leave that alone. <laughs> Everything changes. Can, can we agree to that? Everything changes. And, but can I tell you that in Jesus Christ, there's going to be a resurrection day. There's going to be a resurrection day. That God is going to bless you and he's going to give you a brand new body like unto his glorious body. So let's, let's walk through this. What is God's plan for me? What does the future hold? Hebrews 9, 27. Notice what it says here. Hebrews 9, 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die. I'm not going to have you look at your neighbor. I get too awkward. What's he talking? Once to die, physical death. But after this, the judgment. Every, every person, it's appointed. It's, it's appointed. Every person should pull out their date book. Every person alive on planet Earth. How many people are there? Seven and a half billion people. Whatever. Every person should pull out their date book and put a date on there and say, I have an appointment with death. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that the truth? It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. I, I wish I could preach to seven and a half billion people this morning. I wish that I could. And if I could preach to every person in the world, I would preach to every person in the world, and I would tell them, listen, it's a reality. Every single person is going to die, but after you die, every one of us are going to be judged by Almighty God. I wonder if it wouldn't bring a greater sense of fear into our world that would be a healthy sense of fear. Because if everybody realizes everybody's going to die, and then there's going to come a judgment that comes. What does that make me want to do? What that makes me want to do is make sure that before I meet the judge, I'm in right relationship with the judge. Let me give you another scripture because this will, this will bring illumination to what I'm talking about. 1 Timothy 5.24, really important. Some men's sins are open beforehand, okay? Going, the Bible says, before to judgment. And some men, they follow after to judgment. Do you understand? Some men's sins go before to judgment. 
In other words, I realize there's an appointment date that my life is going to end forever, and then I'm going to see the great judge of the universe. And because I understand that, then I say, oh, God, I haven't been what I need to be, Lord. I have, I've sinned. I've, I've, I've done bad stuff in my life, Lord. But I, you're the judge, but I thank you that you're full of mercy. I thank you for Calvary. I thank you for the blood of the Lamb. I thank you that you died for me. I thank you that you bore my sins. And so Lord I repent and I turn from my sin and Lord I turn to you because I need forgiveness Lord I need new life that comes from you and then those sins that I committed on this earth in this life are sent forward to judgment they're taken care of they're washed in the blood of the lamb so that when I stand before Jesus I'm not standing before Jesus as an unrepentant sinner that's now giving an account for every deed done in the body and everything wrong that I've done I sent them before to judgment. Some men's sins are going to follow after. That's why if I could stand before, before the whole world, I'd say, listen, everybody in the world, all of y'all are going to die at some point, and someday you're going to stand before the judge of the universe. I think that's fair. I think that's just. I think that's, that's, that's full knowledge to be able to know that. And so then I have a choice what I'm going to do with all the things that I've done with this body of mine, right or wrong. Then I have the alternative of going before my God and this good God can wash away my sins people need to hear the truth so I don't want to be a lying preacher because someday I think there's going to be people that stand before God and say that stupid priest told me a bunch of lies that lousy preacher told me a bunch of junk that wasn't true and so here I am. My sins didn't get sent beforehand to judgment. As a matter of fact, they never got taken care of. And now I'm standing before the austere judge of the universe. And here's all my sins and I'm exposed before Almighty God. And then judgment comes after. I'm so thankful today that this wonderful God of ours gave us an opportunity that every deed done in the body, every sin that's ever committed, that it can be sent forward to our great God and the blood of Jesus can wash away all of my sins. And so today we ought to thank God for repentance. Thank God for repentance. Listen, if you're under conviction and you're not living the way you need to live, don't get mad at the preacher. Don't get mad at God. Don't get mad at conviction. Don't get mad at the word of God. Don't say, oh, I wish it wasn't that way. No, say, thank God that my eyes are open, and if it's wrong, I can make it right. That's going to be a whole lot better than all the charlatans and all the liars. And I think the worst liar is a preacher liar. The worst liar is a priest liar. The worst liar is a religious liar that gives people a sense of comfort that is not true. And one day when they wake up in hell and they've got to answer for all their sins, they're going to say, who was that lousy loser that told me a bunch of lies? The truth is that I thank God for today that the word of God gives us clarity of direction as to how the Lord wants us 
to live our lives. And one day there's going to be a judgment. But oh, thank God, my sins can be buried in the water in Jesus' name in water baptism. They can be buried in the blood of the Lamb. In every bad thing I've ever done and ever have been that I've done with this body of mine is going to be forever washed in the blood of the Lamb. Send beforehand to judgment, clarified and justified in the blood so that when I stand before him, I stand before him as a saint and I stand before him as a sanctified one and I stand before him as a part of the bride of Christ, the one that he loves. My goodness. I was going to try to talk about the rapture. (laughs) Sin's a big deal to God. It's a big deal to God. It just is. It's, it's an absolute disregard and defiance of all that God says is right and true. It's man being God. It's man acting like he's God. Eight of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Law of God. Ten commandments. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And God's like, no, I'll give you sacrifices. No, I'll, I'll give you a system. I'll give you a way. I'll create. We got priesthood. We got law. We got, we got a brazen laver. We got an altar. We got a place where the blood can be applied and your sins and the deeds done in the body can be washed in the blood of the lamb. I'm so thankful today for repentance, baptism, If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and all unrighteousness. That's why we we pray daily, the daily prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If I accumulate a debt in a 24-hour period, dear God, help me to put it under the blood immediately, that fast, because I want to be in right standing and right relationship with God. Amen? Watch what Ecclesiastes 12 says. One of the wisest men who ever lived ends the whole book, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. What's he saying? He's ending his book by saying, don't forget, have a fear of God in your life because every single thing is going to be judged. Every work is going to be brought into judgment with every secret thing. What's he saying? I I can hide things from you. You can hide things from me. You can hide things from your mom and your dad. You can hide things from your preacher. You can hide things from your youth minister. You can hide things from the public. but, But what you are and what you do in the dark, God knows about. That doesn't have to scare me. That's not like a threat. But that's a reality. That's a reality. He's going to bring every secret thing into judgment. That's why it's so important that I want my, my, my life under the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So let's, let's, let's walk through this a little bit. So the physical body, the deeds on the body. What happens? So what about death? What about the death of the physical body? What, what, is, what happens at death of the spiritual body? Let's, what does the scripture have to say? What is this, the, the distinction? So do we realize that like the engine of your life, the engine of your life is the spirit? It's the candle of the Lord searching the inward parts. It's the spirit. It's the divine energy. It's soul. The soul is your human personality. The soul is who you are. The spirit, the life that is all living inside of this shell called the human body. But can I tell you, the shell that's called the human body, at some point that shell is going to die. 
unless we go by way of the rapture, and we'll talk about that. That might be the better news. Watch what John 11, 11. These things saith he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may wake him out of sleep. Notice what Jesus says. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. He's just taking a nap. That should be good, right? Is he talking about Lazarus taking a nap? No, he's not talking about him taking a nap. Howbeit, notice what it says, 13, Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of sleep, of rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So do you get it? The terminology of sleep in the Bible is speaking of it in, in context, speaking of physical death. Okay, so let's go to Thessalonians 4 and 13. Paul is encouraging saints who have loved ones who have died in the faith. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. I was like, hey, listen, I don't want you to be lacking knowledge in this very, very important area. Concerning them which are asleep. What's he talking about? He's talking about death. He's like, church, I don't want you to be ignorant about this concerning those that are asleep. He said, and he's specifically talking about those in the church, those in the church that have died. And if the Lord tarries and time goes on, that has happened in River of Life's past, and it will happen in River of Life's future. Right? This is pertinent and relevant because he said, I want to talk to you about them that are asleep. Please notice that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Can I say here today that as God's people, when we lose someone that we dearly love in the faith, is there grieving? Yes. Is there a loss? Yes. Is our heart wounded? Yes. Is there a process we go through? Yes. Does it hurt? Yes. But can I also say that we do not mourn like the world mourns. We do not mourn like those who have no hope. We don't, we as God's people do not mourn like the sinner mourns. We don't mourn like the person outside of the household of faith mourns. Why? Because he said, even as we don't sorrow like those that have no hope. He's saying, yes, we've experienced loss in life. Yes, there are people that we have dearly loved. They've been brothers or sisters or husbands or wives or people that were so close to us and vital to us and it's a loss and we hurt. But at the same time, we don't sorrow like the world sorrows because we have hope. For if we believe, he says in 14, that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep, sleep, parenthetically, the dead in Christ, those that are precious brothers and sisters, family that live for God, even those which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. There's going to come a resurrection day that the wonderful people that we have loved in the faith, that they are, can I tell you, they are ever with the Lord even right now. They, we may not see them. There may be a departure in the flesh. We may not see them right now. But can I tell you, the good news is uh, they are ever alive, ever more in the presence of the living God right now. As sure as you're here now, they are with him now. They are in the presence of God. And so we may cry tears. They may stream down our 
face. We may not know how we're going to get through another day. But what we can say when we rise up out of our grief is that they are with Jesus. They are with the Lord. And if I live for the Lord, I'm going to see them again someday. I'm going to see them again someday. Watch Acts 13, 36. David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, that's what it says, end of his life, he fell on asleep. He fell on sleep, was laid under his fathers and saw corruption. What kind of corruption did David see when he fell asleep, when he died? His body. His body saw this wonderful, dynamic leader of the ages, great, great godly man, but he died. And when he died, that body was laid in the tomb, and that body rotted away, like all human bodies do. He's saying here that he saw corruption, but notice 37. But he whom God raised again, i.e., Jesus, saw no corruption. It's three days. And I want to preach about Jesus here today. I want to talk about Jesus. Because Jesus, our elder brother, Jesus, the humanity of God, Jesus, the body, the human form. Yes, that body died. Yes, that body went into a tomb. But that body didn't see corruption. It died. But three days later, the spirit came back into that mortal, mortified body. And the spirit came back into that body and raised him up. And can I tell you, as the firstborn of those that are dead, he is the firstfruits of them that slept. He came out of the grave. Oh, I got to stop just, again, parenthetically here. And when he popped out of the grave, you know what else happened? A bunch of other graves started popping. Other graves started popping up in Jerusalem. What a trip that would have been. Walking around Jerusalem, some dude that's been dead 15 years, and he started, you look at you like, hey, man, where you been? Oh, I just, I've been dead. Here I am alive. Because it says when he popped out of the grave, other graves popped open. Why? Because when Jesus resurrected, he started something that's never going to end. It's the resurrection. He is the first of them that's left. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn. He's the one that came out and defeated and conquered death and hell. And so, yes, this body may die, but can I tell you that God's going to give you a resurrected body, a glorified body, a new body, a spiritual body, like unto his spiritual body. It's not going to end in the grave. As a matter of fact, whatever Jesus does, it's going to be better. Let's go back, okay? My feet are hanging over the edge, right? Apprehension. We have apprehension about this thing called death. Naturally. This is why we have to be armored with the word. We need to know what we know. And what we know is, yes, it's a little freaky. Yes, it's a little scary. But everything that God tells me about this whole process is that it's going to be better. It's going to be better. I'm going to have a glorified body. I'm going to have a resurrected body one day. Yes, this body may die or we'll get to the rapture or transformed, translated, changed. And it's going to be like unto his glorious body. I've got something to look forward to, friend. We don't have to live our years and lives in trepidation and fear. What's death going to bring? Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? No, because of Jesus. 
we have victory. Eternal victory in the physical body. That's powerful. That's the hope of the resurrection. This is why, do you know that many early Christians used to, they used to hazard their lives hoping they would die. They would throw themselves out as martyrs. They would volunteer their bodies to be martyrs. Isn't it interesting how different the 21st century is? It's all about the preservation of the body. Those that had greater spiritual ideals and were more connected with their God and had a greater understanding ran to their deaths because they knew that it was going to be better then than what they have now. Yet if we're not careful, lack of revelation, understanding, insight, we can have such trepidation that we, and I, I understand that we hang on to everything for, until, but, but if we understood how good it's going to be, we wouldn't be afraid. We wouldn't be afraid. In fact, Romans 8 says, who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage? We're not a people that's afraid of death. We can't be. According to scripture, I get it, apprehension. <laughs> I'm saying let's move from apprehension to anticipation. What it will be like when I walk by side. I can only imagine. That's why that song is powerful. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 1. For we know, look at your neighbor and say we know this. We know this. We got to know this. We know. We know. We know. This is knowledge, revelation, insight. Dog ear this page in your Bible. Dog ear it. Write it. Write it on your mirror at home. Get up in the morning and look at this scripture. For we know that if our earthly house, can you say my body, our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved. You see, see, see the metaphor he's using, the tabernacle, this tent? You just got a temporary tent. You got a, you got a pop-up tent right now. Your body is a pop-up tent. I just bought an ice house, by the way. A pop-up. No, it's not a pop-up. It's a flip-over. But you know what? The longer you have that pop-up, the more the wind beats at it. Oh, man, I was out ice fishing the other day, and I took my, my I got this, cool, it's a flip-over, right? So it all goes right into the, into the thing, into the, what do you call it, the tub, the, the sled. It all flips into there, and I got this beautiful little cover I put on it. And then I took my, my auger, and I put my auger on there, and it had, it had all kinds of ice and junk on it, so I just put it on there. I'm like, we're good. I take a little snowmobile ride back to the house, and I look, and the, and the, and the auger ripped the top of my brand-new cover. <clears throat> Anybody beside me hate doing stupid things? Makes me mad. That's stupid. Why did I do that? I knew better than that. But, but the earthly tent is going to dissolve. You buy yourself a brand new otter flip over lodge today. Guess what? Next year it ain't going to look as good as it did this year. <laughs> I don't think some of you made the connect. <laughs> you can pamper that body. You can t and I'm not arguing to do that. Comb your hair. Brush your teeth. Drill out the cavities, take care of yourself, it's all good. But them teeth are going to fall out, your hair is going to gray, it's going to fall out. You're going to get crow's feet. <laughs> Trying to be mean. It stinks, man, I don't like it. But the earthly tabernacle will dissolve. Are you ready? We have a building of God. 
and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And some of your body is breaking down and you're fighting it, back pain and leg pain and diseases and challenges and it's all came from the garden and sin and all that. And we're, But can I tell you, there's going to be good news, good news. The good news is this, guess what? There's going to be a day. We have a house not made with hands. It's eternal in the heavens. There's not going to be any more pain. We won't need pain pills. We won't have any more challenges like that. This body is going to be done away. Two, for in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. We earnestly desire to be clothed upon. See the revelation? We earnestly desire to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven, our resurrected body. We're waiting. It's going to happen. We're earnestly waiting. I'm in this temporary tent right now, and that tent has been beat by the wind and the sun and the rain and the elements. But, but oh, one day, God's going to give me a new body, a resurrected body, like unto his body, and I long for it, Lord. No more pain. Strength, energy, and vitality is going to come into my body because I'm going to have a new body that comes from the Lord. No sickness, no disease. I'm going to have a new body from God. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle, can you say the human body? That are in this tent, temporary tent, you could say, do groan. Being burdened, not for that we should be unclothed. Can, you, can, I, can I do like the, who, who is uh, Eugene Peterson, the message? <laughs> can, you, can you allow me to paraphrase it? I'll do a better job than he does. Being burdened, not for that we should be unclothed. We're not like excited about the day then that our physical body is going to be unclothed. We're going to like die. Not for that. He said that's not what, being burdened, not for that we should be unclothed, but clothed upon. It's not about what we're losing. It's about what we're gaining. It's not like, oh, I can't wait to die. Dying sounds great. Let's die. Let's all die together. Is that what he's saying? No, 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 no. He's saying I can't wait to be resurrected. And the way to resurrection is death. It's going to happen in a moment. But then that fast, we're going to be clothed on again with our eternal bodies. That mortality might be swallowed up of life. He's talking about eternal life. Now, he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing as God, who hath also given unto us the earnest of his spirit. I want to talk to Pentecost. Pentecost, the Holy Ghost, is not just for, you know, the, the, the gift of goosebumps. It's not just for the surge of emotional elation that we feel, though it be great. Ultimately, the Holy Ghost is the earnest of the reminder in our inner self, in our, the, the most core part of us in the spirit, that one day I'm going to see him, and I have the down payment on eternal life. I have the Holy Ghost in my life. I got the down payment. I got the earnest of my inheritance. I got it now abiding within me. It's like 10% down, 90% at, at the resurrection or the rapture. I'm going to get the other 90% then. Until then, I got the 10%. I got the earnest of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is in my life. Thank God. Therefore, we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, unredeemed, corrupt flesh, we are absent from the Lord. 
from the Lord, who is spirit, who is immaterial, who is invisible. For we walk by faith, not by sight. For we are confident, I say, and willing rather, notice the scripture, willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We are willing. Do you get that? Not me. Ain't happening with me. I don't think so. I'm resisting every moment of that. He said, we are willing. We are willing. This is what we're desiring. We are willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether we're present or whether we're absent, either way, that we may be accepted of him. In other words, we labor either way that we want to be pleasing to God. We want God in this life to accept us. And then when eternal life comes, we're going to have a new body like unto his glorious body. So where do the saints go? When the saints of God die, where do they go? They go to be with Jesus. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Am I in the book? Remember the thief on the cross? How often that, that I was telling somebody today, that was how, how often he is misused. <laughs> but we sure can say at that moment, he knew more about grace than a thousand theologians. Because he stood there in a moment, and Jesus looked at him and said, This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Do you remember Stephen when they picked up stones and they stoned Stephen? What did Stephen say when he stood there and he's being stoned? He said, Lord Jesus, receive into thy hands I commend my spirit. He's like, you're stoning me to death and I'm dying right now, but Lord... Into your hands I commend my spirit. Do you remember Paul? I hope you remember Paul. Look at 2 Corinthians 12 and 2. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. Do we realize that there are more than one heaven? We understand there's more than one heaven? We get it? How do we know? Psalm 19, what does it say? The heavens, S, plural, the heavens declare the glory of God. Heavens. That means there's more than one heaven. Most of the time when we talk about heaven, people think about the celestial city. We think of that eternal place. But the heavens declare the glory of God. There are three heavens. And Revelation talks about the angel that flew through the middle heaven or the midst of heaven. There are three heavens. The first heaven you see by day. If you go out and you lift your head to the skies and you look up and you see the, the beautiful sky above, that's the first heaven. When the lights go out at night and you see the stars and the celestial expanse and you see planets and you see stars, the second heaven we see by night. The first heaven we see by day, the second heaven we see by night. But can I tell you, the third heaven we see by faith. The third heaven. Mm. That's where, we, that's where we're going to spend eternity with almighty God, the third heaven. And that's what he says. He said, I was caught up to the third heaven. And he said, I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up unto paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for man to utter. And all of a sudden he goes to that place and he sees what it's like. And he's with the Lord in paradise. Are you ready? So what about when Jesus comes for his people who are still alive? What about the people that are alive and he comes back? Let's, let's, let's go into Thessalonians chapter 4, 13. 
I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which, which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so also them which sleep in Jesus, those that are the dead in Christ, will God bring with him. Okay, we get that? So those that are dead in Christ, those that are believers, God is going to bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, are not going to stop, are not going to hinder those that are the dead in Christ. We're not going to stop them from their resurrection. So you don't have to worry. If you get raptured, you're not going to stop the wonderful dead in Christ that we know. He said, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead shall rise first. 17, then we which are alive and remain, those that are still alive at the coming of the Lord, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So, so let, me, let me just break this down. So when we talk about the rapture, we understand that the rapture, that word is not in the Bible, right? We understand that? The word rapture is not in the Bible. Some people don't like that. I don't really care whether they like it or not. Um, it's not in the Bible, but the word rapture explains a biblical event. If you don't like the word rapture, fine, don't use it. The Greek word is harpezo, harpezo. It's the word caught up, caught up. It's like a seizure. It's like an immediate, uh, uh, this catching, this immediate snatching. It literally means to be seized. It means to, it like, I don't know why it pops into my head, like, you know, your little kid that's acting up and you just, but you wouldn't be acting up. You reach down, you snatch them. You snap fast. Harpezo, caught up. He said, in, in, a, in a moment, we're going to be caught up. We're going to hastily and immediately there's, there's going to be this catching. That's what the rapture, when people talk about the rapture, it's this immediate catching, it's this capture, it's this seizing, it's this snatching. Where God just that fast, in a moment, right? In an atom, just... And people are caught up. That's what the rapture means. We talk about the rapture, it's the immediate catching up of those that are alive. Jesus comes, comes from the air, the dead in Christ rise. And then there's a beautiful reunion day that happens. That those that are alive during that time, and there's going to be a generation that's going to be alive in the coming of the Lord. And I just feel like saying, I feel like saying, do you realize how close we are to that happening? Do you realize that all of the Christian generations that have lived until now look to the day that we're living in right now? And that the day that we're living in right now... From what I can see, and everything that's shaped up in our world and our culture, technologically, prophetically, in every way, that there is nothing that I can see that would hinder the Lord from, if he so chooses, in this exact moment. Man, I sense Jesus here today. In this, that fast, there is, we could be, do you realize you're sitting here and it could be that fast, and one moment we're here and swoosh, we're gone. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That could happen now. When I think about this, the dead in Christ will rise bodily to meet us in the air. What a reunion that's going to be. I want you to think about it for a moment. 
Music, you can come. I'm done. I want you to think about, we could start naming saints. I, th I think of Tim Dopp. I miss Tim. I think of Tim very, very often. I think of Tim. I think of, I think of Bob. I think of Donna Doust. Um, I never met her, but uh, my wife's mother, Donna Merrick, never met her. Selena. Brother Urshan. Great. Many of them. Wonderful people. Walk with God. Love God. Do you, do you realize right now they're alive? They just switched over. They're in the presence of God. And the dead in Christ are going to rise bodily. That dead mortified corpse. The spirit and soul, which is them, is going to reunite with a glorified body. And then we, which alive, are alive and remain, shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And there's going to be a transformation for those that are alive here. You're not, you're going to have, it's going to be you, but you're going to have a glorified body. Your body is just like that. Be like Superman. It's a poor example. It's the only one that I can think of, though. Growing up, my, uh, my grandfather was a, a trackie. That's a Star Trek fan. So I remember being a child and watching those old, old Star Trek. And you know, you're a kid. Technology's come so far. At the time, it was like, it was cutting edge, man. It was so cutting edge. And uh, Mr. Scotty would be there in the ship, right? And, and uh, uh, James Kirk would have the, he'd have the, looked like a modern day cell phone, but he was so, you know, they didn't have them back then. And he would, he, he'd go click, click. Beam me up, Scotty. Beam me up, Scotty. And I remember being a kid like, and you see it was like, it turned into like snowflakes. And it made this funny sound. And you see there's James Kirk and he's there in his body. You could see little molecules. And then he'd be pushing that button in the Starship Enterprise. And then they had this little area that had like these little round spots. And all of a sudden, you, then you're up in the ship. And, and there's James Kirk and he comes walking in. Captain Kirk. Beam me up, Scotty. Can I tell you, God's got a better plan than beam me up, Scotty. Immediately. Ah, immediately. Woo! Just like that. Immediately. Body's going to, Al, those legs are going to have, I think Al's going to be jumping. Look at Like unto his glorious body, just like that. All pain, all trials, all tribulation, all difficulty. And we, we, we are going to be in his presence. We're going to see him. And folks, this, this generation here, we could be the rapture generation. We could, it, it could happen. It, we could be the ones. I don't see any reason why it couldn't happen. It could happen any moment. So what I'm saying is, as the church... Let's, let's move from, uh, you know, that, that apprehension like, oh, we, we, need to, we need to sing more songs about heaven. We need to sing more songs about the rapture. We need to sing more songs about the coming of the Lord. Because it's not something that we're living in fear of if we're living for God. If we're living for God, we're not, we're not waking up, you know, biting our fingernails to our elbows and just scared. To, no, no, no. Because he has made us ready. 
We're living for him. We're walking with him. We're looking forward to the day that he calls us home. And when he calls us home, it's all going to be better, 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 better. Everything about him is going to be better. It's going to be so good. And I would venture to say we ought to welcome people on that journey with us. Stand together with me this morning. We ought to welcome people on that journey with us. Come on. Hey, where are you going? I'm going to church. No, I'm not going to church. Hey, you going to, I ain't going to Culver's. No, you going to work? No, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. And on my way to heaven, I may stop by Culver's on the way. On my way to heaven, I may stop by River of Life on the way. On my way to heaven, I may stop by home on the way. But what, where I'm really going is I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm going to be with Jesus.